Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. So, Bud, good to see you again, my man. It's been quite a while, relatively speaking, as far as in-season uh, links that we've been able to sit down here. Ironically, been about as excited to pod as I could have been for a long time. But uh, had some technical issues with some cords, and same-day ship is a challenging thing to get at this point in time. So, nonetheless, good to sit down with you Thursday night. We'll put something out for our listeners to have kind of over the bye weekend and uh, got a little recruiting talk, some good listener questions, maybe a game or two that we'll point out uh, that you could watch over the weekend with Florida State in the back of your mind. But uh, yeah, cheers, bro. Let's jump into it. Matt, a- after a win, Florida State is uh, 2-0 and in the month of uh, October, undefeated in October. O-, o for October in the in the loss column, maybe. I'm, I'll, I'll stop now. But they could go about 30... 35 days without losing a game. Is that the longest stretch they've gone without a loss in the season and how long? Because they lost on 925. So 926 to uh, 1029. I mean, we're talking more than a month without suffering a loss, possibly. But you can't overlook UMass. Yeah, that, that, that'll help, certainly. Maybe help you put some uh, salvage or recruiting class, hopefully. Uh, let you have a little bit of a positive window of time here. So with that, we'll uh, jump into the recruiting subject matter in general with one Mr. Travis Hunter. But before we do that, we'll thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, improves all but uh, almost every meal. And uh, we're ever so fortunate to be able to continue to work with them. So Travis Hunter, uh, the good is that he put out a fairly clear statement tonight saying that he's uh, you know absolutely committed to Florida State. Uh, the bad is that uh, it appears as though there's a second visit to Athens on the docket, which, in, in my opinion, is a little, I don't want to say game changer, but you know, when you go and then you reschedule and go again two weeks later, that's a significant development in a kid's recruitment. And then it looks like old, uh, old Kirby dropped in on the helicopter tonight in the Collins Hill-North Gwinnett matchup. Uh, Hunter isn't playing, but uh, still a you know fairly significant Move by uh, by one Mr. Smart there. To be to be fair, North Gwinnett is a hell of a program in its own right. Uh, Josh Downs, the kid from UNC that we were talking about, is a North Gwinnett product. If you've been watching Iowa at all, Tyler Goodson, their super athletic back, is a is a North Gwinnett. Um, it's one of the more you know, it's a massive pipeline school uh, with a lot of talent and a lot of talent that, despite the names that I just listed, not unfamiliar with that talent making its way to Athens. So. Uh, not fully there for Travis Hunter, but uh, he's there for Travis Hunter at the same time. And yet, you know, Hunter puts out the statement and says, hey, I'm like 100% to Florida State. Don't worry about it. Uh, like normally I would think, hey, worry here. And yet I'm not, I'm not as worried uh, because like I know who Travis Hunter is and because of the history of, of how like he didn't commit to FSU coming off a good year. FSU went three and six, and they were like a terrible team last year. You know, he, he committed to what they can be um, and has continued to recruit guys for this class. And I think just his relationship with Woodson will get this one done for the Knowles. Uh, but certainly, like him taking multiple visits to uh, the number one team in the country, it's not a cause for no concern. I'm sure FSU doesn't love it, but also, like, he's probably the best player in the country at this point. So he has leverage to do really whatever he wants. Um, 
I also thought it was notable that the guy he recruited to FSU, Sam McCall, you know, also put out that statement that, hey, I'm, I'm locked in to uh, Florida State after, uh, you know, after a lot of rumors about, about him having interest from other programs or maybe being interested in other programs. Um, that, that's really big. Like, I, I think they're going to keep most of the top of this class together. Uh, Trayvon Williams, the defensive end out of Mississippi, they're going to have to find a way to get him back on campus again, I think. Uh, obviously, LSU offers and he goes and immediately visits. Now, I will say, uh, I have bet against LSU. I check my records every single game so far this season, which has worked well. Uh, and I am doing so again this weekend. LSU is just not a good team. Um, I actually think right now, Florida State would beat LSU on, on the field. I don't think I would have said that in the preseason. If LSU just totally falls apart, which I think at this, I think there's a real chance they end up four and six after ten games. Uh, which hey, FSU might only win four games as well this year. You know, is Trevon Williams really going to pick there? Maybe one of the Mississippi schools. Maybe he'll stick with his commitment to FSU, even though he told the Clarion Ledger, I believe, what was the paper right, uh, that he was uh, sort of like re-examining his commitment. I believe was the term. He didn't actually decommit, but he just kind of taking a look at some things. And then Alu Ba is an offensive lineman. They're going to have to try to really keep and fight in the class, uh, as well as, as Tay Woody, uh, who is another offensive lineman uh, who is committed, but uh, is obviously looking at Auburn. Uh, you know, losses have consequences. And these are all the kids that we identified a month ago, too. Like the historical patterns would dictate you're going to have a hard time keeping hold of uh, of at least the last three names that we talked about, uh, you know, Travis Hunter. So a little bit of a different conversation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is where we thought it would go. You're right. Losses do have consequences. Uh, great that you went up and really slapped around a, a decent football team in UNC, although a very curious football team as well. I'll be interested to see what they look like the rest of the way, uh, there's a lot of kind of parallels to the Georgia Tech game and the Florida State game uh, from UNC's perspective. And like, they kind of came out, looked a better team, slept walked through a vast majority of the game, and then could never really get back in it. Uh, odd to have a team that's just that discombobulated. But uh, this isn't the UNC podcast. Uh, but as far as trying to get a feel for what you are, it really doesn't matter. You know, you went up, you won, you got a win desperately needed and uh, gave yourself a little bit of positive momentum going into this, this bye week stretch here. But the, a long winded way of saying, you know, it's like uh, the Jacksonville state game is almost like water damage in a home or something like that. But like, it's it's going to take a second to realize how deep that really went and what the actual repercussions of that. And it's not, and I've said this the whole time, you don't lose to Jacksonville State and somebody tell Josh Newberg that he's decommitting two days later or something like this is a process that kind of has to work itself out of the system. And I think in the next, you know, five to 15 days, we'll get a decent feel as to some of the fallout of what, you know, week two, week three and, and week four meant to this recruiting class. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I mentioned the whole month without a loss thing. Because I'm I'm assuming they're going to beat UMass. I, I, that's not a guarantee, but you know, overall, I think it's pretty likely that that, that they beat UMass. UMass is, is not very good. Going a month without a loss, having the bye week, which means you get to sell this North Carolina win for two straight weeks. You know, North Carolina is a school that has recruited very well recently, even though it hasn't won a whole lot on the field. It did make the Orange Bowl last year. It is certainly a program. 
that the recruits that you're going after are well aware of the trajectory, or at least the perceived trajectory of North Carolina's program, which is like straight up, you know, this season notwithstanding. So going up there and saying, hey, we physically whipped those guys, it certainly helps your program to be able to, to go and say that. And you get to sell that for two weeks, and then you get UMass. And, you know, we talked about the need to get off to a good start because of the potential for a poor finish and how poor finish might not be that bad because it's right before signing day. Guys don't typically stick with you, you know, for a month until signing day and then all of a sudden, you know, ditch. They're going to have some fairly positive vibes to ride here for about a whole month. I mean, they go to Clemson on 1030, right? Are they going to win that game? Probably not. I think right now they'd be probably 20-point dogs. So that's bigger than what they were at UNC. Obviously, they beat UNC soundly. So I guess anything could happen. But I, I do think you have a decent chance of beating UMass and getting one more win. And I honestly think, man, that 5-3 and three is probably more likely than, or excuse me, I think 5-7 and seven is more likely than 3-9. and nine. Storyline for the second half of the season is can you get to five and can a Miami be part of that five? Because you'll get, you know, you won't replicate what you had at Notre Dame as far as the number of visitors and stuff, but it'll be another platform that you can try to sell the school and it'll be as good of an atmosphere as there can be for a three or four loss team in the country. I think people are excited about the idea of beating Miami and people think you can beat Miami and put an end to kind of this meaningless loss streak that you have to the meaningless and the fact that Miami did absolutely nothing with it. You know, that'll be a last chance for you to really kind of get a pop. And I think if you can win that game, you can probably keep this recruiting class together a little bit more than I would have thought you would. And maybe give yourself to make a, a couple, you know, solid additions here, whether it be some of these guys that you've been holding on to uh, or some of the, you know, newer names that might pop up on your board as you're both evaluating kids and, Let's be honest with you. Um, you know, at some point, you're going to have to make a decision as to, hey, is this big time national project uh, prospect? Do we think we're really going to be able to sign him? Um, and is the fallout if we don't sign him worth it, rather than go ahead and, and focusing on maybe an in-state prospect that we're fairly confident we can get in the mix and are you know somewhat excited about seeing what he looks like three to four years down the line when he's properly developed? Right. I mean, if if you want to go high school. You know, and I, I think Portal will like still be an option here. They uh, they have had a, I would say, overall good track record so far of uh, of taking Portal kids. Now, look, you know who else had a really really good track record of taking Portal kids for several years and was probably the best team in the whole country with Portal guys, excluding like the Bamas and Oklahomas who just kind of cherry pick who they want. Miami, and then this year the Portal kids they took did not really work out as well. So, granted, like you could have your high school kids bust too. That's entirely possible. I, I talk about that on, on the show that I cut on uh, was that Wednesday, I guess, or, or, or Tuesday. Days kind of run together. I was doing some work trip stuff, but um, I think you will probably go portal a little bit this year. But man, like they're going to get on the road this week. They're going to try to get a good feel for where they where they stand with a lot of these kids in person. You know, talking to the kid, talking to the coach all that kind of stuff. Hey, maybe they bump into mom and dad at the game or at the school or you know wherever, and they kind of get a feel for where they are with, with some of these guys. You know, I'm sure at IMG, Duffy's probably telling you what, what he's hearing on Ba. So you know, that's, that's helpful. 
even though I don't think they're visiting IMG this week. But uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll get to do that later. I think they actually have a chance to keep a lot of this together. You know, um, that North Carolina win is probably pretty big for recruiting. And and you said it, like, think about the losses they've had. They, they lost to a Notre Dame team, which you know, kind of thereafter got decimated by injuries and still only has one loss, right? They lost to Cincinnati team, which very well could be the first group of five school to make the playoff. They lost to Louisville. Who's Louisville lost to? Well, a one-loss SEC team in Ole Miss uh, and Wake Forest, an undefeated team. And then you lost to Wake Forest, an undefeated ACC team. Given your injuries, those losses are, I would say, foreseeable slash understandable, even the way that that they happen. The, The Jacksonville State game, like you said, it really stands out. You know, even with all the injuries, if you just don't, as a coaching staff, screw that game up, right? If you manage to keep your guys focused during the week leading up to the game, um, you probably make a bowl game. And that's one they're going to have to wear because they're not likely to make a bowl game now. It's not impossible. They would need to get four more wins out of their next seven, which are out of their next six. Probably not going to happen. UMass, Clemson, NC State, Miami at BC at Florida. Probably not. Who do you think is a more likely win, bud? Clemson or NC State? Oh, NC State. Just because I've seen NC State go on the road and lay an egg at at Mississippi State, I'm not real sure you can block Clemson, right? For all the problems that Clemson has had offensively, uh, and I know they have some guys out on defense. Yeah, their defensive line has sustained some injuries. I mean, they're having to hit younger kids in a manner that they haven't in a couple years. Like Brzee's out for the year. Tyler Davis was out seven to eight weeks, and I believe that was on 9-25. So they're probably not going to, Probably will not be back by by the FSU game. Maybe wrong on that, you know. But Xavier Thomas is playing really well for them now. Ex- pretty happy for that kid to come back from from all the stuff he went through, you know, and, and be able to get back out on the field. That's a game you probably get physically whipped with your offense. Now your defense may be able to handle them at the point of attack, I guess. And your outside corners have been playing okay recently. There's some hope there. I, I thought they did a really nice job in the UNC game, by the way. Like, like they they kind of left those guys on islands at times. And, and North Carolina did not punish them with their outside dudes. The FSU's guys won those battles. They'll have to do more of that against Clemson. Um, probably not leave them on islands. Clemson doesn't really have much of a, a tight end or a slot threat this year. NC State is probably better along the lines of scrimmage, especially you know if you look at both lines of scrimmage. But the game's in Doak. I, I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, I, I think that gap's too big. I, I think Clemson is, is a less likely win for you. What do you think? Um, I, I think it's a lot closer, to be honest with you. I also think it's a lot closer because you have to play Clemson the week before and then turn around and play NC State a week later. Um, so we'll see. It, five would be a hell of a salvage project from where we were on the night of September 11th, talking about a conversation where you lost to Jacksonville State at home. I mean, it would be hell of a turnaround and uh like we said all along might not be that you knock down you know all of the nigelie kelly's coleman's jones jr etc all the kind of absolute uh, cream that is there to add to the class although i think you might get you know one or two of those guys uh from the broader picture i'm not saying you're going to sign two of the three that i just talked about and we'll see you know i think you can sell uh, when we did our, our our season previews i think our aggregate was around 5.4 5.5 expected wins uh that's a pretty reasonable uh 
thought process, at least going into the year. We had no idea about some of the injuries that you'd have and the concentrated, concentrated injuries you'd have the uh, offensive line in particular. If you somehow managed to win this season with five wins, uh, it would be a, a hell of a process, and I think it would be good enough to keep that class around that you really need to have as kind of the jumping off point of a real turnaround here. So, I agree with you there. Um, something else we said is something that, that is is worth watching. I went back and I said, hey, if they finish like top 50 in SP+, which is a metric that considers quality of play, win or lose, I'm really not going to have any worries about, about what the record is because it's going to tell me this thing is moving in the right direction. And look, I, I have some, some quibbles with, with, uh, with Bill's formula at times, and I talk with them almost daily on, on Gchat, which I guess people call Google Voice Chat or whatever it is now, but like, I'm, I'm old, so I just say Gchat. And I know that some of the stuff that the formula captures is what I consider kind of garbage time based on the decisions that coaches are making, like opposing coaches, but the formula disagrees. And I said, if they're top 50, I probably would not have any problems with, with how the season plays out. They're 55th. They have played a difficult schedule so far. The schedule they've played so far, he ranks as 26th. The schedule they have yet to play he ranks 10th. So a lot of this is that you're playing a schedule without a lot of breaks on it. And then you also, like, you know, fell into the sewer. by just, just Like somebody left a manhole cover open, you just stepped into that one against Jacksonville State. Um, you know, and that really wasn't that, that fluky. This team is better. Like if you told me that they, that they, were, they were, have an actual shot of being like a top 50 quality team, after week two, you're like, yeah, right. But they've turned some things around here. You know, Jordan being healthy really helps. I think Maurice Smith being healthy obviously helps. Their depth got really exposed when they had those offensive linemen go out. And things are looking, I would say, mostly better. But I also don't want, I, I don't buy it when Norvell says, hey, this is the new level, right? I told the team it's a, it's a restart. We, 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 we don't turn back from here. That's what he has to tell his team. But as an evaluator, I'm not buying that, right? North Carolina had a lot of stuff go wrong for them in that game. FSU took it, made its own opportunities, had a lot of things go right. But also, there will be teams that play you differently, right? You can't assume that Jordan's going to stay this healthy throughout the season, um, nor with the offensive line. Like To me, this team has the North Carolina-level performance in them, but it still has the Wake Forest-level performance in it. And the Jacksonville State one, maybe less so, but certainly some of those games when you were really not competitive in, until the opponent called off the dogs, Louisville, you know, games like that. I, those games are still very capable of this team. This team is not going to play at this North Carolina, North Carolina level for the rest of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I had to chuckle at that because that's the, the same words <laughs> that ironically enough, one Jimbo Fisher delivered in a North Carolina locker room in the kind of the Rod Owens, uh, Christian Ponder game where they came back and had as brilliant of a second half as you could ever have. Was that the catch the ball, Bo, where, where, where Coley's mic'd up in, in the uh, in the coach's box and they, they, they called the wheel route and, and you could tell that Bo had dropped it at practice a lot because Coley's like, catch the ball, Bo, catch the ball, Bo. Yeah, yeah. catch it, Bo. Yeah. But that was a great game. But none, that was literally verbatim, uh, or not verbatim, damn near to verbatim. Jimbo Fisher's in the locker room saying, you know, this is the standard. This is the level. We never go back from this. And unfortunately, 
it's very rare that teams progression is, you know, purely linear. Um, so we can, uh, try to figure out what we're going to get as far as the team for the rest of the year. Uh, one team that we're always fortunate to be able to pair with is Chad and Shannon, great people, uh, 200, I don't know, 200, I guess we're getting close to 225, somewhere in that area. Now listeners have either refied or gotten an original loan from two of which is, uh, my partner in crime here, Mr. Bud Elliott. You want to give some shout outs? Let's give some shout outs to these people who called 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Let's give a shout to Matt and Lynn in Jacksonville, who just closed on, uh, what day was this? Closed on Wednesday. Awesome. We got, got some stuff going out for them. And let's also give a shout out to, uh, to John, who closed, looked like, on Monday. So, awesome. Two more right there. Guys, really appreciate y'all being loyal NOLCAST listeners. And uh, again, customer service, great experience, awesome rates. That's that's what they do. And little Noel's chatter. And gosh, I mean, two wins. What what, what a better time to, to, to refi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take advantage. Uh, I'm obviously not an economic expert or anything, but just as a podcaster, I'm telling you, take advantage of interest rates that will uh, not forever be at this level. Uh, if you want to look at what Social Security's adjustment for cost of living was last year, uh, it is significant and it's the highest it's been a long, like 5.7%. So what I'm saying, there's some inflationary scares out there. Rates get altered. Take advantage of this window while you can. And there's no better people to take advantage of it with than Chad and Shannon. You ha- did, you, uh, did you see what Ethereum did today? No, I did not. With like 7%. There you go. There you go. Well, credit to you, sir. Yeah. So what happened in that Jimbo game a- after that game? Do you remember? Uh, the next week? No, I do not. Well, they uh, they actually ended up, uh, they beat North, North Carolina State 45-42. Okay. I, mean, I, I do remember that. That was 2009, right? I believe so. Yeah. Because they didn't go there in 2010. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm almost, yeah, I believe it was 2009. Um, yeah, it was, it was Rod Owens. So the, the nine catches for 199 yards. Then the next week they go and lose at Clemson 40-24. Uh, and then they need the Burt Reed punt return to beat Maryland. And uh, then they go and they lose in the swamp uh, 37 to 10. So indeed, they did not play at that level for, for the rest of the year. Teams are almost certainly not their best level or their worst level for the most part. Hell, look at AM, right? They just beat Alabama. They also have played three straight terrible games Colorado, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. What is the true level? It's probably somewhere in between. You know, they could lose, probably won't, but they could lose this weekend at Missouri. Uh, Just something to think about with that level. Like, let's not make the mistake of thinking, uh, well, I I will say, I thought about this. When they lost Jacksonville State, it was like, they they might not win a game. (laughs) You know what I mean? We didn't know what direction the team would take emotionally. And to me, the most recent data point is the one that matters the most, right? But it doesn't matter to the exclusion of all other data points. Like they're still the team that that almost lost to Syracuse and the team that, you know, really was not very competitive with Louisville until the second half. And they're the team that was not competitive at all against Wake Forest. I mean, well, some penalties and stuff, but but I think it, this being the most recent game does help for sure. And anyway. By the way, Conley gives them a 14% chance of making a bowl, FPI uh, 6% chance. You and I were about 5% pre-UNC game, so um, yeah, I probably 
probably just a shade under where Bill is on that at this point. Uh, so you're going to need help though, like for, for some of these other teams on the schedule. Certainly. Yeah. It'd be horrible if Florida just completely unwound and was a, a shell of the program by the end of the year. Uh, but that's to be an awful lot of help, awful lot of help for that to happen. So uh, we talked a little bit about the fact that uh, there'd be some evaluations and new offers going out, but we're always fortunate enough to be able to, uh, you know, <clears throat> fall back on uh, your duties with 247 and the fact that you get to see so many of these kids out in person. Florida State recently offered uh, defense lineman Eddie Kelly, somebody that I know you've been able to see once or twice before. Uh, let's get your firsthand perspective on the type of prospect that Kelly is. Yeah, so Eddie Kelly is actually listed as as a, a tight end. Uh, he plays for uh, West Orange there in Winter Garden. I believe he was at Jones prior. I saw him at a seven on, which was actually, I think it was actually at Jones High School over the summer. Um, anyway, like they, FSU likes him as a defensive end. He was playing tight end, uh, and I'm going to go and find what I wrote about him here. It was not over the summer, by the way. It was actually the one in. January. Oh, this is Pylon. No, so I, I've, I've seen Eddie Kelly twice then. Orlando Jones receiver or tight end prospect Eddie Kelly is a name to watch. Kelly recently picked up an offer from USF and showed why on Saturday. The 6'5", 210-pounder was able to use his length to go over defenders and also shield them from the ball. Kelly could be a fast riser. He also has some nastiness to him, not seen in players with a basketball build. Uh, this is backed up by the blocking on his huddle. So FSU actually seems to like him as a defensive player here. Um, but uh, that's pretty impressive. I, I remember thinking he was actually thicker than 210 when I saw him the second time. Yeah, this bio list him at, the article listed at 262 is bio as I'm at 265, so. Yeah, 210 is, is, is definitely not, uh, yeah, not at all. Um, hmm. 262 feels, feels big, but still. Uh, I was definitely at the one at Jones High School. I, I remember Ivans was there as well. Uh, taking a look at him. Uh, here we go. So Ivan's actually wrote this for the pylon in April. He wrote, Kelly was a big reason why Team CD went undefeated during pool play as a frequent target for quarterback uh, Davin Widener. The soon-to-be senior Orlando Jones spent much of his past fall working his inline tight end, which is pretty rare to see these days. Kelly isn't the most dynamic of athletes, but he's a crafty route runner equipped with some soft hands on a rather large frame. He lists himself now at 6'5", 235. A fair... Player comparison for Kelly might be the current Illinois starting tight end, Daniel Barker, as Kelly looks and moves a lot like Barker did on the seven-on-seven uh, circuit. He's got the Jonathan Kando play down pat. He's going to be great at that. Uh, defensive line, then the, just uh, puts hands on the ball. The old, the old rare pick six from a defensive end. You know, the thing that stands out to me in, in what I wrote, though, is the physicality, right? Um, and the nastiness could be... Uh, could be could be worth it. Keep an eye on it. Just a, a new offer there. Uh, something to keep in the back of your mind. And like you said, probably won't be the, uh, or like we said, probably won't be the first of these kind of uh, newer offers as Florida State tries to get a feel for what else is out there. And uh, as always, everything's made a little bit more complicated by the fact that, uh, you know, is this high school kid worth offering or are you better just keeping the spot in the back of your pocket and, and working the portal uh, yet again? So. Uh, but when we get to our listener questions here, we'll try to get through these uh, pretty quickly. We can always keep one or two in our own back pocket. 
uh, as we've got some bi-week content still left here to fill. Uh, but Michael asks the first question tonight. Michael says, is the risk of another coaching change at defense coordinator too much? Should Florida State wait and see if Fuller improves? How much of the bad is tied to personnel that would uh, also have to carry over to the next guy? Um, well, I don't think too much. I, I uh, If this defense doesn't improve a whole lot, I think you need to make a move. And it's 71st right now in the country in SV+. I don't think it's much higher than that in FPI. Uh, you have legitimate talent, in my opinion, on this defense. Now, you do have some holes, most notably linebacker, and safety is not great. Uh, but I, I think this defense should be better than, than it's been, personally. So, unless it improves a whole lot, you know my opinion is. I, I think they should make a change. Uh, and I'm not worried about the scheme continuity stuff. you got to get the position right. You're not winning a damn thing next year anyway. I, I think the TBD here. I think this will continue to play out, and uh, this will resolve itself on the field. Uh, if you stay kind of where you have been, then you'll be having a new defense coordinator and maybe a couple other new spots uh, on that defense staff. Um, I will say the defense backs gotten better. looks like there's – uh, it's certainly a more coordinated and well-rounded defense, but uh, we're we're making some extrapolations based off one game and in-season, you know, uh, <clears throat> in-season judging people of jobs tends to swing way too mightily from week to week as to where you feel guys are, unless they're just doing an absolutely pathetic job. And uh, Fuller's had his frustration, certainly, but I would certainly not label him uh, as a pathetic, um, you know, has not been a pathetic failure by any means, uh, absent maybe one game and one call in particular. TJ has our second question here. Hypothetically speaking, if Fuller is gone at the end of the year, <laughs> if Fuller is gone at the end of the year and, Di- and Diaz gets fired in Miami, would he be a good fit for defense coordinator here? He's alma mater and former GA. It sounds unlikely, but uh, good to get all opinions out on the table. Thanks, guys, for the content. Um, well, I I don't really think so. Um, he does have a solid track record at some stops as a defense coordinator and is a good recruiter, but I don't think that's really a move that Norvell would make. I, I don't know if those two know each other, though, so I don't, I don't want to speak out of school and say with certainty uh, that it wouldn't. Um, you know, the thing is, like, if they make the move, they're going to have to probably overpay for the next guy because Norvell is going to be, what, three and six and let let's say four and eight. So he'll be seven and 14 after two years. The coaching community is not going to see that as a guy who's going to be at FSU for, for the long term. Even if he tells them, Hey, like the guy who we think is going to be the new AD, I'm pretty tight with them. And, and they understand this is a long-term rebuild because the decision they made with Willie, they, they, they screwed up the roster. So they're probably going to have to overpay somewhat. And they were probably not gonna be able to get somebody who is like a really, really well-known name. Like, I don't think they're going to they're be able to get like a Dan Lanning or somebody like oh, that no. No, from Georgia. No. I mean, you'll have to, uh, like Newberg threw out the name Kevin Steele a couple weeks ago. I don't know if that was just a random. Which is a whole, random, like, I mean. But he will, that's who you're, you're going to have to go see it, somebody like that. You're going to have to go get somebody that's a, a veteran journeyman who, if he gets fired next year, just kind of laughs it off, appreciates a big check, says that he's got a couple new coaches polo, uh, you know, in his outfit wardrobe now and, and moves on down the road. You're not going to get a young guy. 
You're not going to get an up and comer uh, because of the job. Well, you may get a young guy if he's not. Proven. Well, you're, okay. You're not going to get a young guy who's not a high risk young guy. I will say that. Like, could you get Doug Belk from Houston? Like, I, 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 this is not a name that I think Norvell has any attachment to, at least not to my knowledge. Uh, but he's off the saving tree, so there's a likelihood that he's a Sexton client, which obviously is going to play into this. I don't think there's any way that Norvell is going to hire a D coordinator who's not a Sexton client, just given how these things kind of work. Uh, maybe, maybe he will, but we'll see. He's not even fired Fuller yet. But like Doug Belk is doing really nice things with that Houston defense so far. Uh, could be a name. Young guy, definitely understands scheme, seems to be a good teacher, you know, has shown he can work for Daner Holgerson. So that's always interesting. I, you could get a young guy from the G5 who has done a good job, I think, but you're probably not going to get. You'll get a very high risk young guy if you get one. It won't be a, a you know, one of these uh, more clear up and comers. I'll put it that way. It'll be somebody like, uh, I'm not saying that they'll be involved in this name, but it'd be somebody like when Jimbo hired Jeremy uh, Pruitt, some guy that's, uh, you know, very much looking to get a defense to make his own and doesn't otherwise have all that much of a track record behind him. So maybe a Jim Leonard type, not saying Jim Leonard, but like, like Jim Leonard was not very proven mm-hmm. when Wisconsin hired him to be their defense coordinator. They thought he had really good coaching chops, but you know. before we get to Dominic, we'll thank our good friends at Congruity. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized and it has been a great fit for us. It's been a great fit uh, for some of our friends who have also chosen to pair with them, uh, whether it be payroll assistance, uh, HR, whatever it can be. Uh, they are a great person to partner with or a great group to partner with. And Matt Lewis is a great person to partner with and explore uh, how you can <clears throat> get the most out of your business and explore what the best relationship there could be. Matt's been great to us and been great for us. Uh, we would, would encourage you to reach out to him. Uh, Knowles at congruityhr.com uh, via email. Like I've said previously, uh, I think 80% of the people that have ended up being congruity clients have reached out to me first uh, to kind of put the two parties together. And if you'd prefer to do that, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, Gmail, uh, email, wherever it may be. Uh, but congruity HR great benefit for us and we are pretty confident they would have all kinds of positive benefits to you and your business as well reach out to them spend five minutes talking about florida state ball with matt and explore as to whether or not they would be a good fit for you all right uh so where do you want to go now so dominic asked a few podcasts ago you guys mentioned that florida state can benefit from lsu having a down year Uh, i'm from louisiana and really curious if you guys could expand on that are there any type uh, of top recruits that Florida State uh, in Louisiana that Florida State feels it could go after? This Cajun Noel truly appreciates the Noel cast and the great insight y'all produce. Thanks uh, and keep up the great work. So thank you for the kind words, Dominic. But yeah, uh, actually, there's a couple. Um, so Kendrick Law w- w- would be one from inside the state of Louisiana. Although I will say, like, for the most part, Louisiana folks still think they're going to keep their Louisiana kids in state, even if they have a coaching change. I think the bigger impact here could be the guys that FSU is competing against LSU for uh, or already lost out to LSU on. For instance, linebacker DeMario Tolan. Kissimmee kid, you know, if LSU keeps losing games here, I mean, it's not crazy to think LSU might end up being like, you know, three and seven by Thanksgiving. 
they, they do have ULM, so they'll, they'll get that win. And then they got to finish with AM. And who knows what AM will be? They might end up being good. They might end up being kind of, yeah. Um, you know, what about Julian Armella? Somebody who you and I and everybody else thought is probably not a take at like a Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, but LSU is legitimate competition for. Uh, certainly, that's a guy. And then we already mentioned on the show tonight, Trayvon Williams, right? Who took a visit down there to LSU, but now LSU just looks like their program is, I don't say their program, their team is kind of collapsing. And I, I definitely expect or- Orgeron to get fired. So, uh, you know, just, just some things to think about right there. Andy says, would you rather have Jordan Travis on the 2012 team or EJ on the 2021 team? Which one is a better hunting dog? Yeah, I would, uh, I don't know that EJ would, Certainly, if you got end of career EJ, who started to see ghosts and uh, would fall into that spin move a little too easily, then he would pair real well uh, with what this offensive line has been for the vast majority of the year. Um, and Jordan on that 2012 team would have been, uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see what Jimbo would have done with somebody like Jordan and how much he would have really run on him because they certainly felt comfortable doing that in some of the early Jimbo years and seemed like you got away from it, maybe in the, in the back half of the Jimbo Fisher era. I would agree with that. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know though, man. Like, do you think Jordan would have worked on the 2012 team with, with, with how he throws the ball? I, maybe, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of partial to EJ here, but I think your point about the late career EJ is, is a really good one. That's, that's a good question. It is. It is. It would have been interesting to see what, uh, you know, Jordan uh, is benefiting from good, solid coaching right now. Would be curious to see how Jordan would have developed under, uh, you know, a little bit more continuity of what the message was during the first couple years of his college trajectory as he certainly bounced around a little bit. And fortunate enough for Florida State, he did and landed in Tallahassee. Uh, Mason says, overall review of the program. How has Norvell change things for the better since taking the job are there things off the field he can continue to improve uh second part of this question is since florida state's hired a harvard academic as their new president what should that tell us about the overall big picture for the program and search for a new athletic director you want to take this one first yeah i mean what what's he done how's norvell changed the program for the better i mean certainly the uh, and I think this is both Norvell and the boosters realizing that you have to heavily invest in the infrastructure and, and kind of the bones of the project. Uh, but Norvell, you know, we, we've talked about things being, uh, when we compared the differences of the Willie Air and the, and the Norvell Air, we just said that there was a broader foundation, a stronger foundation, uh, kind of a better infrastructure within the program, uh, both in that there's a better support team around Mike, uh, you know, there. I would say there's more consistent leadership uh, from the top down, and that helps kind of everybody else uh, fill into their roles uh, in a better manner. So I'm not saying that uh, everybody in the programs over there holding hands and doing perfect every day, or that there's not things that they can improve upon, or you know, individuals that they could probably make uh, a slight improvements over. Uh, but for the most part everybody's kind of swimming in the same direction in that building. And there's a, there is a, a, you know, the noticeable, uh, the noticeable identification of an entity that has some leadership behind it. Uh, and that's brought on by Norvell and his chief of staff and kind of everybody else that operates within that building. So I, I'm not saying that everybody that Norvell has brought on 
is, you know, professional or is like definitely FSU quality. Uh, but I do think that especially in the back of like the back of the house staff, that his hit rate as far as people who you think, okay, like that's somebody that is like a, a upper power five quality director of player personnel or development or whatever is a little bit higher standard than what they had under Willie. I've said this a couple of times. I think a lot of those guys that Willie brought with him and girls should have been cut loose a, a stop or two before he got to Tallahassee. And I think that was part of his downfall, right? Because those are the people that a lot of the power people behind the scenes had to deal with and had to see how they operated and just wasn't, uh, they, they didn't feel like they were you know, FSU quality as far as their, their work product and their organization. As far as the uh, president, I mean, look, you don't come to Florida State and not realize that the athletic programs and the football program in particular is a thing of massive importance, both to the alumni and very much kind of the university's uh, front porch, so to say. Uh, so I'm going to be a broken record here and say that you need to make a decision on an athletic director. And there's you need to do it sooner than later. And I know there's some complicating things behind the scenes. We acknowledge this every time we talk about it. You need to get your uh, four to five year interim into a new position. Okay, do it. Uh, but Florida State is a school that has built its uh, brand and uh, is known, uh, thanks in a large part to athletics. And the fact that this school has not had a athletic director in however many 1,300, 1,400 days, I gave the stat a couple shows ago, um, and hasn't had a real I would say, you know, bona fide, legitimate athletic director who was able to play that role behind the scenes since 2008 is a problem and one that needs to be resolved and, uh, you know, remedied sooner than later. Can I throw a little curveball here to you? Please. If you're Mike Norbell, do you actually want them to get Alford in right now or would you rather have them get Alford in later? Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, a little bit. I do. Do you think the audience does or should we expand on it? Yeah, I mean, let's just, this is an interesting theory, an interesting idea here. If you're Mike Norvell, I think you would want to see an athletic director and the, the part of you that would want to see an athletic director sooner than labor is you want the commitment from the university. You want clarity as to what you're doing. You want a clear piece of evidence that this, <laughs> this school values athletics and is going to have a clear uh cut ideas to where they want to go and who they want to go there with. Maybe you can give uh, your theory as to why it might be slightly beneficial if this process doesn't continue to slow play itself. Sure. So I mean, g- given the talent that the defense is losing this year, right? Um, and the fact that like, I don't know when you're going to have a good throwing game here, probably a couple of years. I mean, Duffy's coming as a true freshman. We'll see what you get out of Purdy. Not really expecting Travis to be a good thrower of the ball anytime soon, you know, if, if, if Alford was in tomorrow, how many years does Norvell get to rebuild this thing? You know, if he doesn't get in until like midway through next year, then it's actually conceivable that Norvell could get two more years under Alford, right? Eventually an AD does feel pressure to put his own stamp on the program. Just, I don't know, just something I'm thinking, right? Like, yeah, I don't think Mike Alford will be here without being the athletic director and to some like by the summer you mean yeah i mean I, I don't know how long this kind of situation can play itself out so um 
something to watch. So, I mean, we've made our we've made our opinions pretty clear on this subject matter, or at least I have, and uh, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. I will reiterate that if you lose Mike Alford, it's not as though you're going to lose every booster in the world or something like that, but you're going to have some real relationships that have to be repaired uh, with some of the people who have uh, uh, bought into his leadership vision and very much believe him to be a guy that can lead the university athletically uh, for a period of time moving forward. Final questions of the night come from Matt. Matt says, Jermaine Johnson has been a huge asset to this team. How does this production rank to this point uh, in the season versus some of the other great Florida State pass rushers, uh, defense alignment? Yeah. Um, I mean, we can go. I probably should have had these stats pulled previously. I feel like Johnson is certainly the best player they've had since Burns. Uh, Johnson is maybe a little bit more consistent version than Burns. I'm not, that's not a knock on Burns. I mean, look, the guy's got such an elite level takeoff that he's turned into a hell of a player in the NFL. Uh, but Burns would either sack here or not be involved in the play for the most part. Uh, Johnson, much better against the run, uh, and has just blossomed into one of the nation's better defensive linemen. Obviously, it would be a great selling point for Florida State in the portal to be able to point to something like this and maybe have a kid that's drafted in the back half of the first round. Uh, but, you know, bringing number 11 to, to Tallahassee could not have been uh, could not have paid richer dividends than it has so far for you. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I obviously I think Burns is a better pro prospect because of the get off, right? Like like that that's the elite tool. I don't think Johnson has that same level of tools for for the pros. I mean that, that's why Burns in the first round, you know, makes sense. I I, I don't know about Johnson. May, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. That's still incredibly impressive, right? To go from being a backup at Georgia to blossoming. <laughs> Elsewhere, I mean, six and a half sacks is really, really nice. Sack percentage of 3.8 is just fairly high. Um, the other thing, it, it's just man, his dependability and being on the field is, is so important. I mean, he has played 300 snaps this year. He's given you over 50 snaps, or not over, about 50 snaps a game. That's huge, man. Um, He's in there a ton. I hope he doesn't wear down in the second half of the season. Uh, they, they've been trying to rotate more guys in, you know, Fuller, McClendon, Cushney, th- th- those type of dudes. But he's been extremely, extremely good. Uh, now, does he match up to the all-time greats? No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, but tough thing to ask of anybody at Florida State when you're comparing that position group. But uh, here's a name I would actually compare him to a little bit, um, and I think he's a better player than this guy. So don't take this the wrong way. But they were both on bad teams, right? And they didn't get a ton of opportunity to rush the quarterback because a lot of teams just wanted to run the ball against them and they just they, they didn't have the lead very much. Everett Brown. Guy was a pretty good college pass rusher. You know, not nearly as good against the run as Johnson was and, and physically not the same level of pro prospect. From a production standpoint, though, didn't Brown have a ton of sacks to start off 2009, I think? Yeah. Or 2008? ton of sacks. And wasn't he taken with like the first pick of the second round or some first two or three picks of the second round? Uh, so, kid who was kind of in that. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a second round pick, 43rd overall. 43rd, okay. I, th- I've, I thought the, the Panthers moved a little further up in the second round to draft him. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the window. I mean, right now I think Jermaine would go somewhere between 25 and 45. Uh, in the draft. 
It'll depend on what he runs. You know, if he goes up there and rips a ridiculous time, I mean, I will say, like, I, I know Everett Brown, and like I've, seen, I've stood next to him in person. I've stood next to Jermaine in person, obviously, and interviewed both of those guys. Uh, Jermaine Johnson is a lot taller than Everett Brown was. I mean, probably, I would say that confidently three inches taller than Brown. Um, I know Brown at the combine measured 6'1, 263. I, I think Johnson, like, legitimately might measure 6'4 at the combine, which is tough to do. Wow, I didn't know Brown lasted uh, until 2015 in the league. He was, uh, he was around for a little while there, certainly. Uh, and good for him. Decent, decent guy by everybody that I have, uh, you know, known to know him. So uh, the next question was the rushing production. So through five games... Uh, Jay Sean has 556 yards and Trey Sean has 362. Uh, if you look at Florida State's single season uh, rushing, now nobody's going to touch Dalvin at 1760 or 1690, respectively. Uh, but if Jay Sean Corbin kind of stays on this clip, could you see him land somewhere around uh, eight? nine or ten possibly cam Akers is your uh 10th most prolific rusher in a single season at 1024 uh the man himself work done uh in his <laughs> he owns three of the nine uh best single season rushing uh records in florida state history good for you work done so eight is larry key at 1117 work at nine 1026 and cam is at 1024 uh, in theory, could you see Jay Sean Corbin laying somewhere around there? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how many carries Ward eats up as he's a wildly talented back in his own right. But uh, Corbin's having a pretty special season so far. Absolutely, man. Like, that uh, makes sense to me. He is, Ward's playing extremely well for them, obviously. How many, here's a question for you, though. Do I think they get to 1,000? No. I think Jay Sean probably gets to around 900 or something like that. I mean, certainly the, the teams that you're playing are better and it'll be somewhat dependent as to, you know, college football's interesting thing to try to predict now, bud, because predicting games like eight through 11, how do you do it? I mean, you don't know where teams mental headspace is going to be. If kids enter into the portal, uh, it's just really hard to predict this team in general, but particularly hard to get a grasp on uh, what some of these teams will look like as you, you know, enter into your back third of the of the season. Here's the other thing that, that, that matters here. Mackenzie Milton so far this year has thrown 93 passes. That is eaten in to how many snaps Jordan Travis has taken. As Jordan Travis takes more snaps, this passing game sucks. I mean, it is really bad. They are 107th in passing success rate, 103rd in passing explosiveness, 111th in marginal efficiency on, on the passing side. 119th and adjusted net yards per attempt. I mean, that's both Milton and Travis. Like, both their passing has been terrible this year. Part of that's the receivers as well. And we've well chronicled the offensive line and some of its protection issues. But as you play Jordan Travis more, the yards per game, I think, for Corbin and Ward will probably go down, even though she's going to be running the ball more, because Travis is also going to be running the football. Now, their efficiency might increase because teams have to account for Travis's legs more in the run game. But I, I, I agree. I, there are six games left. Corbin would need, what, 444 to get there? And Ward would need, I mean, 670 
uh, or no, shoot, Ward would need six thirty-eight. I, I don't think either of them get to a thousand, but it's not a, it's not impossible. Like this is not a, a Looney Tunes number. It's actually a decent number to to ponder. All right. Well, I think that will be it. We will have a, a bye week show. We're going to do a check in on the old snap count draft. See where we are six games through. Uh, next week, have a, a couple other questions that we're going to frame. Have kind of a, a continued year in review conversation. As always, just want to thank you guys uh, for the support that you've given the show. Uh, we'll thank our producer, uh, some of the guys who work on the graphics. Always want to tip our hat to the good people at For the Table. But uh, for now, this has been the Nolcast. Thank you so much for your listenership, bud. Great to be back with you and do one of these. And uh, we'll look forward to getting a podcast out to you next week. And then we'll get back into the flow of our uh, in-season schedule here. So five stars wherever you get us uh, via your subs, your your podcast provider, uh, sub on YouTube if that is of interest to you. And until uh, next time, this has been the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Thank you.